Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode contains talk and music of spirituality and religion that some listeners may find transcendent or overwhelming. Welcome to 2024 and Cacophony's first episode for a while. And it's a great one. This is perfect music for a bit of post-Christmas January reflection. The band regards Sur l'Enfant Jésus, or 20 looks at, visions of, reflections on the infant Jesus, by the French composer Olivier Messiaen. It's a collection of 20 pieces for solo piano, and it's appropriately epic. It's got everything, so be prepared for shock and awe, beauty and silent contemplation. It's got angels and shepherds too, though, just perhaps as we might not expect them. It's a big piece to talk about, and I'm really happy that the pianist and composer Rolf Hind happened to have it on his music stand and was up for explaining it for us, and playing a few things along the way. Before getting to Messian and Jesus, I asked Rolf about his journey into music. As a child, I was interested in performance generally. I was interested in being an actor. And so before I learnt the piano, I took part in a few shows local to me, probably the apogee of which was being Oliver in Oliver. Oh, cool. <laughs> in the operatic players of Sutton's production of Oliver. <laughs> Do you still remember all the songs? Pretty much, yeah. And um, we still got, my mum still has the photos of me in my gold velvet outfit. Nice. That's when Oliver goes posh. He has yeah. a gold velvet outfit and a gold velvet hat <laughs> in this version. <laughs> I love that outfit. I got in, I, I used to sing in the church choir. I had some singing lessons with a a friend of the family who lived in the road, who was actually a very good professional singer and teacher. So th- those things came together. I was interested in being in shows uh, and the theatre. We were given a piano when I was nine, and I just started teaching myself for a while. And I was singing, and then I started to learn the piano from my choir master. Was it clear from the beginning that you were good? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I... It's hard to remember. I think I progressed quite quickly. I was very interested. It became my thing. It, uh, nobody else in my family does it, although they're very supportive. And I've actually always liked that dynamic personally. It's the thing I do. So I went when I was a s- smaller child to live in a very large house where there was plenty of room to go and make noise and play the piano. And I did that for a few years. And then adolescence comes along and teen years and I was much more self-conscious about performing on stage, which is what I had been interested in doing. So I got much more into composing and and playing just on my own. I I, I suppose in retrospect, there were a couple of times when I won things and then I got a scholarship to the Royal College of Music and it was kind of a surprise. I wasn't thinking I'd get one, but then I did. So we started to think, well, maybe this is what I'm going to do. And up till then, I would just... I was just very into it, you know, just mm. enjoying it. The sense of any direction only comes with retrospect, I think, for me. <laughs> yeah. And what would you say music means to you? Well, it's a constant thread throughout my life. And, for example, now I've reached an age where my husband and I talk about retiring. And the thought of not doing music and retiring in that sense is frightening, actually. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> Uh, I haven't quite re- reached that age yet, but even even contemplating it, because I both compose and play the piano, I have periods when I'm doing one more than the other. 
and then I miss one of them. The public experience of performing in concert is quite different from what is mostly a quite lonesome activity as a composer. They feed into each other a lot. Um, you might certainly learn things about composing from playing, from playing interesting music. I didn't compose anything for about 15, getting on for 20 years when I was just playing. Although as a kid, I would very much have thought of myself as both. I was sort of around quite successful composers and I didn't really find it very conducive. It, and then I just got a bit inhibited. It all felt rather too competitive and uh, mm. not the right spirit. So I had to sort of retreat from that for quite a while personally until I found a source of uh, inspiration, which I felt like was mine, but also was kind of clear and... And for me, that was actually experiences like going to India for the first time when, not necessarily because I'm massively influenced by Indian music, but the cultural experience was so different that I felt it was bringing something completely new to to me, which I wanted to express. Before that, I wasn't terribly sure of what my identity was. I was brought up by a German mother and an English father, and I don't feel particularly either of those things. I'm certainly not Indian, and I'm proud to be European, but going to India for the first time, the first of many times, was a, a real weird experience of sort of homecoming. Mm. Maybe you could say spiritual homecoming, but, you know, that's a thing that's always shifting. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened to inspire me back into composition there, which, which felt freeing from the pressures I'd felt at home. We're here today to talk about Olivier Messiaen and the fan regards sur l'enfant Jésus, or I always translate it to 20 looks at the infant Jesus, 20 visions, if you like. And it's huge. Yeah, it is huge. It's got 20 movements. It lasts about two hours, a bit more than two hours, and really, really intense, but very tiring physically because it's a tiring piece. It's by some way the longest piece that we'll have covered on Cacophony. I don't think I've ever seen people play chunks of it. Oh, no, people do, actually. Um, that's, uh, that's certainly the way I came to it. And when I was... Uh, I've been playing three of the movements for about 35 years <laughs> and, then, and then gradually adding other movements. Um, the 10th movement, in particular, which is called Regard de l'Esprit de Joie, The Spirit of Joy... It's a dance, a sort of jazzy, crazy dance, and it's probably the most famous movement of the set. For me, it's how I got into playing more contemporary music and, well, it was much more contemporary back then. So I played the Regardless Play de Joie when I, was, uh, when I was a student, and then I learned a few more, and I also played, there's a piece called De Canyon aux Etoiles, which is another big piano concerto piece from later in his life, which has 12 movements. <laughs> There's all these massive pieces by Messiaen. The composer George Benjamin, who was kind of a student in Paris at that time with Messiaen, came to college to conduct it. So I got to know him and through him, the Messiaens. Messiaen and his wife came to college and I played to them. Messiaen and his wife, who was a pianist called Yvonne Loriot, who played all his piano music and most of it's written for her and actually it was incredibly interesting to see them work together obviously she's very highly rated she's actually little a little undersung as a creative mm. force because she had a lot to say about how his music went 
I think, you know, decisions were made by her. <laughs> There's lots of stuff on the scores, which is from her. She's really great to work with. And your score is yes. signed by both Messiaen and Laurier. Yeah, it is, which is something I'm very proud of. You can't really tell that from the state of the score, but these scores do fall apart when you play them. <laughs> it's, and it's, you know, 176 pages of music, so it tends to fall apart. But I do have it signed on the page where it is dedicated to her by both of them um, when they came to college, which was wonderful. Very precious. So, Olivier Messiaen was an organist at a Paris church for 60 years, but piano was his main instrument, really? There's a lot of both organ and piano yeah. music, and it's quite easy to notice the influence of the organ on the piano music. But yeah, there is absolutely tons of piano music. <laughs> but I think that may very much have been to do with Loriot becoming the love of his life and such an inspiration. Mm. This isn't actually the biggest set of his pieces. The catalogue of birds is probably longer, but that's not necessarily a set. You can play isolated yes. ones of them, yeah. and they come in different volumes. Amongst the things that influence Messiaen, then, we have Lorio, mm -hmm. the love of his life. We have birds and nature, which you've just mentioned. Mm. So he was fascinated by birds, and in catalogue of birds, he's trying to replicate birdsong in music. Yeah, much, much more so than in the earlier pieces. There there were at least three moments of this piece we're talking about, the Van Regard, which have birdsong elements. There's one which is almost entirely birdsong. <laughs> but by the time it gets to the um, Catalogue d'Oiseau, it's much more kind of um, precise sound observation. It's, um, it's a very odd, odd and brilliant mix, very scientific. They recorded the birds. He and his wife were both mad ornithologists uh, and then played them back down a few octaves to make them audible to the human ear and then and then start arranging the patterns of the birds into into the pieces in most of the catalogue of birds the catalogue d'oiseau it's not just birds it's birds in their setting and their setting like whether it be cliffs or the sea or rolling countryside are represented by musical symbols and he's incredibly literal about these musical symbols that they're written on the score. It's a really delightful thing about playing Messiaen. He always tells you what he's doing. He tells you what's happening formally in the pieces, what the meaning of it is. Like there's some narrative or some scene he's depicting. He, he describes that on the score. In French? Yeah. In normal language? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could probably find an example. If um, Let me just open a random page and see what comes up. Well, I opened immediately at Regard des Auteurs, which is Regard of the Heights, which is, is a birdsong one. And immediately at the top, there's a little paragraph that says, the glory of the heights, the heights descend on the crash, where, where Jesus is. And then at the end, all the birds sing, and that's on the score. Then if I turn to number six, it tells you what's going on technically in the piece, which is called, everything was made by him. Spaces and durations, galaxies, photons, contrary spirals, inverse thunderbolts. By him, the word, everything was made. At a certain moment, creation opens to us the luminous sound of his voice. <laughs> and then it's, it's a fugue, and the minute it starts, he marks the subject of the fugue, the counter-subject of the fugue, the subject changed in rhythm and register. It's all written on the score. Mm. 
So that's really it's, helpful. It's the technical information about what's happening in the music, like if you want to think about how it's put together, but also what the inspiration is, what the scene is, if you like. It's really helpful if you're learning it because it can be quite impenetrable. One of the first obstacles to a pianist or a musician who might come from older music is there aren't conventional time signatures. It doesn't say four in a bar or three in a bar. It doesn't mean it doesn't sound like there are. <laughs> it's just that they vary so much that he doesn't bother with them. And he has these habits of... Oh, so they, are they not put in at all? No. Oh, wow. These bars we're looking at here are 5 plus 5 plus 5 plus 8. So the, the pattern is very clear and then other patterns are working against it. So it would be more confusing to put it in a conventional time signature actually when and occasionally i must admit like other pianists play this i probably cheat and write one in if it's helpful <laughs> but gen generally he doesn't use them and that's partly because he also uses really simple but neat ideas of of changing the variation you know which is a classic standard thing in classical music but just simple things like adding a note's length at the end and at the beginning and then adding another one, and another one, another one. It's, it's a classic Messiaen thing. He, if he wants a, a passage which builds up in excitement, he'll do that. that. He'll take the same few chords or whatever and just add bits to the, the outer edges so it gets bigger and bigger. So the other big inspiration and motivation for Messiaen is his faith. Yeah. And he was a very devout Catholic. And this 20 aspects looked at visions of the infant Jesus is somehow all-encompassing. What am I trying to say? It's not a nativity, is it? It's not the nativity. Not the oh, nativity. no, no, no. It's not in any sort of sentimental, soft or sweet sense. I mean, there are very sweet moments with some gorgeously sweet movements. There's also the other end. One of the most surprising movements for me is the, the angels who are absolutely ferocious. And it ends with one of those things I was describing where something stretches gradually. And the French word he uses is stupor, which I guess is like the awe of the angels increases. Very masculine angels. They're not, but they're not even masculine. They're warriors. I don't know whether this will necessarily mean much to people, but this kind of approach to religion is like the Russian composer Ostrovskaya, whose music is very, very religious, but pure awe. You know, like there's nothing sweet about it. It's very, very loud. It's extremely aggressive. And she'll write, like Messiaen will, she'll write six Fs, dolce, sweetly. <laughs> it's like it's trying to. I don't know, it's trying to rip the universe open somehow. It's really trying to make something happen through a, a musical symbol that isn't sweet, isn't pacifying you. Again, having said that, 
the Messian has beautiful, sweet moments and gentle movements and simple movements amongst the 20 and some that are quite dance-like. There's, there's three or four that have what he calls an exotic quality and use a particular one of his scales and the sound of tam-tams in the bottom of the piano, which represents at one point the the wise men and the shepherds. Um, but there, there, is a, there is a sort of ferocious awe, I suppose I'd call it, in it, which is absolutely the antidote of all the sweet Christmas crap we've had. <laughs> it's a very overwhelming thing. It's a very overwhelming thing when you open yourself to the fact that we are really here right now. And I think that's what some creative artist is trying to do, is just like slap you around the face and say, <laughs> metaphorically, this is amazing. And, yeah. and right now it's happening. <laughs> uh, and I think great music great art generally great experiences you know can make that can make that happen do you need to be spiritually inclined to get this music to listen to it oh i, I don't know I'm i mean with... i would i would say that we all we all are spiritually yeah. inclined by definition but... I, yeah that's a really hard question and it's really difficult if you say things like or if you talk about being spiritual yeah. i mean it's usually said by people when they're just about to do something horrible so, <laughs> um, and so there's loads and loads of spirituality in people who don't profess to be there's loads of people doing good and living well and where they find that ability from i don't know i imagine if everyone is different for me, I do respond to this because the thing that sort of wakes me up to the universe and being lucky to be in it and, and in all its complexity and sometimes ghastliness is that sense of awe, like occasionally, which I've had through music sometimes, through meditation, through other art forms, through yoga, through travel to amazing places. It doesn't resonate with me, but a lot of people get a lot from sport, for example. You know, watching sport, it's a really, really emotional experience. Like, that's rather snobbishly gainsaid by people sometimes. My husband's an artist, yet at the same time, one of the few things that makes him cry is sport. <laughs> and I think the, the same may be said of a lot of men, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, that's a kind of acknowledgement that things are amazing. <laughs> Um, yes. And you might not even articulate it like that, but you, the, the, well, the tears are because you can't articulate, aren't they? They just, they sort of come from a deeper place. I've personally been on a slow sort of spiritual journey, and the further along I get, and it, the more I doubt things, and the less sure I am I can say anything about it. So I think it is difficult to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I cry at sport, but then I... I cry at most things. Yeah. So, you know, you know. <laughs> oh, I just switch sport off. <laughs> Everyone finds it in a different place. But you said something about what makes this music spiritual, something like that, or what gives it that ability. I don't know whether it is. I don't. I think that's just something you project onto it. I'm, I'm not saying I don't love it, but on the deep, deeper philosophical level, I feel like that's a bit problematic to say that that, that something is inherently like a piece of music inherently spiritual. Of course, Messian writes all that in and makes it clear what's important to him in the writing of it. But perhaps Messian's need to explain it's a double-edged sword because too much explaining just makes it look like, well, the music means this, where, whereas actually the music is just the music. Yes. <laughs> right? yes. And those are just, they are finger posts to tell you 
how you might play it or how you might think of it as a player and how you might listen to it as a listener. But still, that's a bit tricky. They're just pointing you in a a direction, but then actually the music is just the music. And there may be all sorts of other structures in the music and other effects in the music which are too subtle to be described. And basically, I'm just saying, you know, that there's a reason there's a piece of music and not just a description of it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What is the expression? The map is not the landscape. That's that's an expression I've heard from Buddhist teachers. It's one of the problems with what we're doing now. Yeah, we're trying to talk about it. And yeah, you just want to immerse yourself in it and you really do have to but you know it's only two hours it's only like watching a film <laughs> and and yes um, so it, that's that's the beauty of most music it doesn't take nearly as long as to read a book <laughs> and there are recurring themes there are yeah that pop up um, from the, time the, to time the theme of god appears a lot and I was the first thing that hooked me on this piece when I when I first heard this. The first one of the Varagas is Regard du Père, the view of the father, which just presents the very simple theme which kind of underlines the work, which is the, the theme of God, um, which is just a sequence of a few rather beautiful chords. They are these kind of gorgeous, scrunchy, jazzy, F-sharp major chords. <laughs> and they come back at every climax because it's god god appears f sharp major tends to be the mega joy key f sharp major has all the sharps so the idea is it's like incredibly bright even if you can't hear that there's a sort of suggestive idea that it's very very bright talking about earlier Paolui Tutatife it's about the creation of the heavens and the planets and at the very end of that movement which is the sixth movement God's face appears through the clouds and the lightning and the planets all whizzing around they make an amazing film that movement the way he describes what's happening in it and that's the theme of God reappearing but in a completely yeah it's a transformed way my, my notes for this movement say big stuff in spades yeah, absolutely. It's God making the heavens. And he throws everything at that movement. It's very Bach-like because it's it's the glorification of God through all his technical means. You know, if he's gonna if he's gonna represent the galaxies and the photons and the spiraling stars, he's just gonna do everything a composer can do. So it is a it is a very complex fugue which runs forward and then backwards again. And it's not that uncommon to have palindromes in classical music, but this is a long one. It's like five minutes this way and then five minutes back again. I didn't realise for ages when I was learning it. It's so craftily written. You don't realise it's the same music going backwards. And that as a symbol or an image is incredible. Where does it start and finish? It doesn't. <laughs> it just turns on itself. It's, it's That's something I find extraordinary in his music, that sort of symbolic power. And then that 
builds after that to the revelation of God's face. theme of God, the face of God appearing by the flame and bouillonment, boilingness. It's like cauldron. Oh. Oh, you can see it like in some 1930s film. And that's that's God transformed from the beginning. There are there are a few themes, but they're, they're basically quite simple. There's a the theme of God. Theme of love. There's the theme of the cross and the star, and it doesn't appear that much. There's a movement which is a cross and the movement of the star. Messian talks about the the star and the cross being intertwined in his theology. I don't know whether that's a conventional theological idea. So they have the same theme because they're the beginning and the end of Christ's life. And it's the same theme in the Regard de la Croix, but slowed down out of voices. There's a theme of chords, which is only four or five chords, and I don't think that one's quite so important because that's just something he uses to make stuff. This building block. Yeah, building blocks, rather than moments of drama. Structurally, his music is quite unique. It's just like a mosaic. It's in blocks rather than developing in the way that 19th century classical music does in some ways that makes it really easy to follow i have an adult student at the moment who is womaning her way through the van regard and she's she's learned seven of them <laughs> but whenever she starts one i say to miriam that's her name just look at the score before you start and see how much repetition there is because it's a you know it's a great comfort when you've learned a page, to realise that that page is going to repeat quite a lot. And it might appear in a different transposition or something later, or a bit of it might appear, but basically he does that a lot. So there are kind of blocks of things. And I think that makes it quite easy for an audience, actually. You know, even if you don't immediately like the musical language, like it's too jagged for you or too dissonant, well, A, you're going to be able to hear where it how it's shaped, but also the chances are there will be a softer bit coming. There will be something more appealing to you, you know, if you just happen to have taste for something sweet rather than something savoury, <laughs> put it like that. 
to, to his credit, they are kept really simple, those themes, so you really can identify them. You know, the theme of God is really just, it's just four chords, which are very easy to identify. For me, a, a more interesting way to, to listen to it and sort of navigate it is there are these um, movements of different types. There's definitely love movements in here. The, the Baiser d'Enfant Jésus is a, is a wonderful one. The Kiss of the Child Jesus. And then there are movements which are a bit birdsongy. And then there are two or three rather exotic movements which have gongs and kind of, uh, uh, for want of a better word, Eastern scales, they're Messian's own scales. But in the the shepherds and the major, there's some nice evocation of Eastern instruments. Yeah, how, how does he talk about it? Exotic music, tam-tams and oboe, enormous nasal concert. <laughs> That's how that movement's described. And then there are sort of mysterious, almost maybe a bit theological movements. The, the, the sun the looking sun at the sun, sun. Yeah. silence, the star, yeah. the cross, um, one which is a kind of the descent of God, which is just a, a phrase that gets louder and louder <laughs> repeating. The tenth movement is this... Regard de l'esprit de joie, the big, the big kind of Listian party piece in the set, but then it's immediately followed by a beautiful one, the First Communion of the Virgin in the middle. There's a sort of crisis of of discord, and then the chords start to get more beautiful, and there are low repeated notes, irregular numbers, and they are Christ's heartbeat. They are Mary feeling the beating of her heart, of her son's heart in her, which is kind of amazing, yeah. <laughs> and they're all irregular. So like one bar will be 11, then 12, then 13. That movement's extremely beautiful, and that, that movement's quite often played on its own. One of the things 
that struck me watching the YouTube performance that you gave is that I thought we were watching a lockdown performance with our audience. Hmm. I thought it was just you and your husband page turning and the silences, the quality of the silence that was being held between movements and sometimes within movements, I think plays a really important part in the cumulative experience of the piece. Mm. I mean, that's probably another important thing to say about the piece and the ingredients of his music generally is there's quite a lot of silence in it. It pauses along yeah. and things are slow. Is it enjoyable to play? Can you enjoy playing it or is there so much sheer material well i have literally only played it as one sequence once um and that was a very special occasion because it was in lockdown my father had died that year it was on his birthday by a complete fluke and my dad shared a birthday with messian (laughs) so it was like oh this is weird (laughs) so i was and it was the only concert I'd done for a couple of months because of lockdown. So it was very special. I had a lot of weird energy. A lot of my friends came and were in the audience in their masks. Um, my husband was turning pages because I couldn't have a page turner and he can't read music. Um, but he did a great job. It was probably a bit, a bit special on that occasion. Yeah. People who I spoke to said it, yeah, it had a rather extraordinary atmosphere just because of all the circumstances and, Quite a few people hadn't been to a concert for, you know, probably that year. And it doesn't it doesn't actually get played that much as a whole thing. It's 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 taken me an awful lot longer to get around to than I'd intended. And I, I was really glad to actually finally get the chance. Um, Have you got any favourite moments? Hmm, that's a good question. I do like that bit where the face of God is revealed behind the thunder and the turbulence is kind of amazing and actually the way the way it's written as a sequence of movements that the the first movement is a very quiet simple iteration but nonetheless takes eight minutes of just the theme of god and then the four movements after that are all quite quiet and reflective and they're and fragmented and they're all going somewhere like it's, it hasn't really started yet until you get to the sixth movement and then the sixth movement is is probably the hardest movement ferociously hard that whole movement is extraordinary. God making the heavens. <laughs> there are loads of fantastic moments. Um, some of the quiet writing is amazing, but I, I also like some of the kind of awe-inspiring, mean stuff, like the angry angels and the unction and what's the one? La parole toute puissante, the all-powerful word, which is a kind of a simple sort of sinuous, again, slightly exotic melody with tam-tams represented by something out the three bottom notes on the piano <laughs> in various different rhythms. But it's so simple. It's just like a really striking, straightforward idea. So going from these very complex layered movements to something as simple as that, which is just one object, uh, it has a huge range. Because of the research I'm doing it all, planning, I'm looking to the way the... India is about Sanskrit. <laughs> and it's very dodgy. It's very dodgy politically, this whole idea that something has like innate magical value. I feel that I feel that's happening a little bit with the way Sanskrit is being used in India as the magic language which belongs to us and makes us superior. Yeah. Because uh, it's a brilliant language. But you know, languages are all quite brilliant actually. And I feel the same about saying that about music doesn't mean you know i'm that i'm not 
or the universe, but I don't want to say that this thing that I like has the spiritual stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that I said that thing about, you know, sport. <laughs> Just because I don't get something, I don't get a thrilling experience from it. I don't, I don't think my experience is better than anyone else's who experiences that. It's a ways to that, isn't it? If you're inclined that way, it's, it's all miraculous. It's, yeah. Yeah, there's not a sort of pecking order of it, is there? I'm just my cold. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear you play the piano. <laughs> Thanks so much to Rolf Hind for joining us on Cacophony to talk about his visions on the 20 Reflections on the Infant Jesus by Olivier Messian. Now let's have a listen. There's a link to Rolf's live performance from London in the podcast episode notes. If you have a movie night to spare, this piece will be extra rewarding if you can explore it in one go. As Rolf said, you need much less time than to read a book. Best of all, if you're in the sweet spot of hearing this immediately after its release and are in reach of Durham Cathedral, UK, Rolf will be playing the piece in concert on the 16th of January 2024 because the best musical experiences happen in a room with live musicians. Once you've had a listen, remember to tell us what you think. You can leave a comment or simple voice message at cacophonyonline.com or find us on social media. There must be someone you know interested in epic piano music, spirituality or terrifying angels. Who are they? Please share Cacophony with them. If you'd like to support us and are able to, the best ways are by telling your friends and family to listen or making a donation to support running costs. You can do that via the link to coffee.com. Come back for more next time and thanks for listening.